hello, is this thing on? Testing. Testing. Uh, you know, I don't know whether this was a good idea. Hello, I'm still Garyan. On Tuesday night, census night in Australia, I live streamed this podcast, which is basically me reading through the census form and making the occasional sarcastic comment. But since then, we've discovered that the entire thing, the whole census was a clusterfuck of fabulous proportions. So this all seems rather dated now, and it's only a few days later, but here it is. Enjoy. Or not. The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language and invalid information. Tuesday, the 9th of August, 2016. It's that special night that comes but once every five years. August 9 is census night. It's a moment for everyone to pause and play a role in shaping the future of Australia's education, health, transport and infrastructure. You'll soon receive a letter with your unique census login. Every household must use it to complete the census online on August 9 or follow the directions to order a paper form. The census, it's our moment to make a difference. And so far hasn't it been such a fuck up. This is the 9pm fracking your data real good. Oh yeah, it is so fracked. Well, good evening, and before we go any further, I need to credit the uh, title of this episode to Johannes Jakob in Melbourne, who tweeted earlier today, uh, look, we don't like to call it data mining, it's more like data fracking. And I tell you what, it is pretty fracked up tonight at the Australian Bureau of Statistics, because as this podcast is recorded live at just after 9pm Eastern uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time, the Bureau of Statistics website, or at least that uh, for the census, Australia's 2016 national census, is fucked. And what's even more fun is that over the period of at least an hour, something like an hour and a half, um, they were saying, no, no, it's all working fine. It's all just happening. It's all running, quote, smoothly as expected. So I encourage you, as the evening unfolds, to continue using that hashtag, smoothly as expected, uh, because it's even better than fresh in your memories, uh, for those of you who remember Woolworths Supermarkets and their uh, their whole uh, Anzac Day thing. So, this episode of the 9pm Edict, yes, the 9pm Fracking Your Data Real Good. Is that what I called it? I can't even remember now. Yes, Fracking Your Data Real Oh, there's a lot. There, there has been nearly as much preparation gone into tonight's podcast as went into the Census 2016 load balancing tests. It's almost that good. Okay. I want you to remember that as you're listening, because this has that same level of wonderfulness about it. If you're not in Australia and you're listening to this tonight, this is going to be most confusing, but stay with us. Also, if you are joining the live podcast or the live stream 
I have just realised, uh, because someone mentioned it, that the little intro before we cross live into the stream um, is still the one from the previous episode of the podcast. So I will uh, I will um, have to repeat that every now and then for the people on the live stream because they'll just get thoroughly confused because they will think this is a whole episode about Pauline Hanson. On the other hand... If they're outside Australia, they won't know who she is either. Okay, what we are going to do this evening is go through this census form, and I had the sense to get a paper once sent out so I don't have to rely on the uh, falling apart internet to do it, and I'm going to run through... Most of the questions, there's 60 questions here. Not all of them are interesting, but I think you need to understand what we can do with, uh, with this data. And I don't mean what the Bureau of Statistics can do or uh, in your more paranoid, stupid dreams, what the government can do. I mean, for fuck's sake, the government is not a kind of monolithic thing that, that kind of all connects up. They'd like to be. They would like to have that level of organisation. But in the real world, really, I think it's better to think of a government as a a cluster of of organisations, some better organised than others, that are more or less heading in the same direction, and they have a you know a body of laws and policies and all of that kind of thing which which guide them, but really, nah, nah. So, census household form census night is Tuesday, nine August, twenty sixteen. That's now. Uh, you can read along at home if you have a paper form, because apparently if you're trying to use the internet, you're pretty fucked. Uh, front page asks you, what is the address of this dwelling? That's not terribly interesting or controversial. Like, you know, what is the location of the census? Then they sort of get into these persons, you see. The person one, two, three, four. And person one is either the householder, if present, otherwise any adult member of the household. So given that I'm staying at someone else's house, am I part of the household. I don't know. I'm just going to make this up. I'm going to go through this very quickly. Oh, and uh, we have some Nicholas Fry later with uh, a look through the arch window. Okay, question two was the name of everyone. Now, that was the most controversial thing about this particular census, but uh, let's skip over that because otherwise I'll have to go uh, down the rabbit hole of what the Bureau of Statistics was trying to do with the census and names and whatever. Most of, of people's concerns are kind of wrong. There are concerns, but they're not the concerns that you should uh, you should be uh, concerned about. Question three, is the person male or female? Now, let's, let's be very clear here. This is where... The Australian Bureau of Statistics is actually failing to meet the requirements of the 2003, uh, 2013 Sex Discrimination Amendment Bill. In fact, asking a binary, are you male or female, is in breach of the law. That is to say, the Bureau of Stats is required, like all government agencies, to allow people to put in an X to recognise uh, intersex people, as at least as a third option, uh, perhaps others, 
uh, depending. Uh, I know that uh, some agencies have a spot where you write in how you would like to describe your gender, which I think is an excellent idea. Um, we're waiting to hear back on that. Um, there, there were concerns that oh, changing that question would poison the data, you know, because it wouldn't then be uh, able to can be be compared with previous years. But that is just so stupid. If the census is only recording male or female, then how the hell does the government determine the need for medical and other other services for transgendered or intersex people? They could they just don't exist. They're invisible. So effectively and I've just realized this as far as the Australian Bureau of Statistics is concerned, transgender and intersex people are just like Aboriginal people before 1967. That is, they don't exist. Is this really what a government agency in a modern Western democracy should be doing? No. We should be forgetting about data continuity with the past. We should actually try and reflect the reality of what's out there. I shall move on. Uh, date of birth or age. What is the person's relationship to the person's form? What is the what is the person's present marital status? Your choices are never married, widowed, divorced, separated, but not divorced or married. That is to say, and it says in the notes, married refers to re, marriage refers to registered marriages. Okay, sort of about de facto relationships. Again, we're looking at planning, right? So as far as Centrelink is concerned, the tax office, a whole lot of other agencies, in fact, all the agencies, someone in a de facto relationship has the same status as someone who's married, right? So again, by only counting registered marriages, the Bureau of Stats is failing to record the reality of modern Australia. Well, the reality of the 1940s, the 1930s, because I don't know whether you're aware of this, but people have been living together in a relationship without being married for quite some number of weeks now. Uh, question seven, is the person of Aboriginal or Torres Strait Island origin? That's where they make sure that blacks are treated differently. Uh Question eight, where does a person usually live? Question nine, where did the person usually live one year ago? And question ten, five years ago. Reasonably straightforward, if you can remember back five years. Not of all of us are able to do that, uh, I suppose. Australian citizenship, in which country was the person born? Now, I love this because they they can't list every country in the world on the, on the, the form, not on the paper form anyway. So we list England, Australia, New Zealand, India, Italy, Vietnam, Philippines, or other, please specify. That's presumably in proportion to uh, to the reality of the Australian population, but it does uh, show a very interesting reality there. Uh, what year arrived Australia? What country was the person's father born, as if that's important? What country was the person's mother born, as if that's important? What pers- what uh, languages are spoken at home other than English? Now, that is important because you uh, have to provide services in, uh, in other languages. And actually, this is where you can get onto some interesting stuff in relation to how census data can be used by demographers to um to um what's the word plan services ahead
Um, uh, yes, the other people saying that. Nicholas Fryer is saying on the thing now, why does Spreaker keep taking me to the One Nation read-through? Uh, do you mean the intro or the live thing? That's the question, because apparently the intro is still there, but you do get back to me uh, talking about this. Um, I don't have time to sort out your problem. I, I forgot to update the intro to the live stream, so that's possibly my fault. I thought I'd just deleted it, but there you go. Um, where are we here? Uh, 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 uh. Oh, yes, language is living at home. Back when I was uh, a producer with ABC Radio in Adelaide many years ago, we had a demographer from Flinders University on uh, the evening program quite regularly. I think it was every couple of weeks or so. And he would tell us interesting things uh, about the Australian people. We never mentioned the word demographer. We just said we're going to learn some things about the Australian people. And... Uh, one of the one of the evenings, he said, "Would you like to know where all the male order brides are?" Went, what do you mean? He said, "Well, we can we can uh, look in the the census data for the distribution of married couples where the husband is born in Australia and uh, is of a couple of generations of Australians, and where his wife." is newly arrived from, oh, let's say, the Philippines, India, uh, Indonesia. You know, he, he, did, he did some digging around to find out which countries worked better for this. And it turned out that there were three towns, this is this 30 years ago, but there were three towns where they had a distinct cluster of mail-order brides, as we should call them. But, you know, they were genuine marriages, people living together and, and so on. And uh, Mount Isa was one of them, a mining town in the middle of Queensland. Mount Gambia was another in the southeast of South Australia. And I forget where the third was. And you think, well, why do we need to know this? And the answer was that because the husbands were generally significantly older than the wives, they would quite naturally be more likely to die earlier. And there was another factor as well. Once one woman from a particular country, not just a particular country, but a particular town or village had successfully uh, formed a marriage with an Australian and was happy with it, other people from her town or village would also arrange a marriage to a husband in that area. So you actually ended up with clusters of people, who the wives, who knew each other um, from their original home country, living in the same town with their husbands dying. So planning ahead, if they were, say, from the Philippines, you had to make sure there was a Tagalog-speaking um, person uh, in the local Centrelink or whatever to uh, deal with these people. And that I found fascinating. That's actually good stuff. So rather than worried about what country someone was born in, the, the question about what languages they speak is actually, in my extremely well-informed opinion, uh, more important. Particularly questions like how well does a, a how well does the person speak English? Very well, well, not well, not at all. Self-rated. Oh, I speak English real good, proper, with with words and facts and stuff. yeah, right. 
piss off. Um, oh, back to the beginning. Um, the first question was about names. I am reliably informed that both a given name and a surname are required to fill in the online form for the census, which means that some 13,500 Australians cannot be properly serviced by that form. Ah, yes. Question 18. What is the person's ancestry? And you have to pick two. So the first one, English, Irish, Scottish, Italian, German, Chinese, or Australian, which is interesting. And then other, you can put in them. Now, if you only, if you can only put in two, why, or how, rather, can this work for people who quite rightly think that they are of more than two ancestries. I mean, I know someone who uh, would like to think of himself as Filipino, Spanish, Japanese. Filipino and Spanish on one side of the family, Japanese on another. Uh, How many generations are we meant to go back here? It's all... It's all a bit arbitrary. It's all a bit colonial, of course, but that's uh, another thing. What is the person's religion? Yes, that's an optional thing. Shall I do the... uh... (laughs) Sorry, I was just amazingly distracted because the lovely Corinne just tweeted that she's listening to Stilgarian's 9pm live and comparing boob photos with a friend. This is my very good evening. It does sound a very good evening. Maybe I'll compare my boob photos with other people later. Oh, dear. Uh, Oh, yes, the whole religion thing. Yes, it is compulsory at this point to mention Nazi Germany because uh, the the Holocaust thing, you may have heard of it. Uh, One of the reasons that uh, the German invading troops, the SS, in countries such as the Netherlands, uh, Germany or Germany itself and so on, were able to so effectively round up the Jews and, and others, but particularly the Jews, obviously, uh, was that they had their religion uh, recorded in the census and the census was all recorded on IBM punch card machines. So it was fairly straightforward to just run a search through the census data of of all the people who had registered uh, Judaism as their religion, uh, print out all the addresses and go around and round them up. Very efficient. And in fact, if you read a book called IBM and the Holocaust by Edwin Black, it can be a heavy going book, but it documents how IBM had realised as the European war was kicking off and how the Germans were likely to occupy much of Europe, IBM in Europe arranged so that they didn't report directly to IBM in the United States because that was going to be logistically difficult, but reported through IBM Switzerland and then out from there so that they could keep operating Uh, in Nazi Germany. It's worth remembering, too, that uh, Thomas J. Watson, uh, the head of IBM at the time, uh, was a bit of a a fan of Adolf Hitler, so much so that Hitler gave him uh, the highest decoration that he was allowed to give a foreigner. I think it was a version of the Iron Cross. I'm not quite sure. But certainly the head of IBM was decorated by Hitler 
And, of course, Hitler was a painter, so it was fairly straightforward uh, for him to do that. Uh, the, it's also worth mentioning that it's not just Nazi Germany that did that. Uh, in both uh, the United States and Australia, possibly elsewhere, uh, people with ancestry such as uh, Japanese, Italian and German and so on uh, were put into internment camps, as they were called, concentration camps, to give them one of their earlier names, uh, during the course of the war. Um, the Star Trek bloke, George Takei, uh, when he was a, a young fella, uh, of Japanese origin, he was uh, put in one such camp. And I believe he's written a, a quite, uh, I was about to say, an entertaining book about that. Probably not all that entertaining. Question 20, does the person ever need someone to help uh, with or be with them for self-care activities? Uh, for example, doing everyday activities such as eating, showering, dressing and or toileting. Toileting is an interesting word, um, which we'll move on from. Uh, the question I have here is how much this que- – like it says need someone to help them with these activities. I mean, is that need as in due to physical necessity or need as in deep and yearning desire for someone to help you get out of bed or in the toilet? Because – no, I'm not going to go down that path. But there's an image there, which and and I think there is a a solid question there, which needs to be solved. Uh, does the person ever need someone to help with or be with them for communication activities? Uh, yeah, probably. Hold your hand. Uh, 23, uh, what are the reasons? Are you too old? You're too young? And are you going to school? What type of educational institution? I find it interesting, again, that, uh, uh, that primary and secondary schools are divided into government, Catholic and other. The Catholic Church really does have quite a lot of influence on our society, doesn't it? Uh, for those over 15 years, we continue on. Um, highest level of education, educational qualifications, yeah, 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 so on, field of study, yeah. Uh, what is the main field of study for the person's highest qualification completed? And I was about to say your choices are plumbing, history, primary school teaching, hairdressing or greenkeeping, but they're just examples, apparently. I, I would actually like to see a, an enumerated list at this point, perhaps about 10 or 15 things, and you have to pick one of those. What sort of things should therefore be on that that list? I don't know. Um, look, we're, we're kind of halfway through the questions there, so uh, I think I'll take a rest and you can perhaps uh, listen to something else. And now it's time for Nicholas Fryer with a look through the arch window. The internet, well, strictly the World Wide Web, but most people use the terms interchangeably, and I don't see why I should make an effort to be any more correct than the rest of you. Pointing out other people's grammatical mistakes has never got me laid after all, so where's the motivation? Anyway, the Winterneb is full of stuff. Information, I'm told, by the sorts of people who couldn't get a date in first-year comp sci but who seem to have made a mozza since they dropped out of uni. 
Lots of this information turns out to be videos of people putting parts of their bodies into other people. It does whenever I check, anyway. In any event, movies of people spending quality time with their friends are all perfectly natural and nothing to be embarrassed about. There are, however, also a lot of words online, most of which are plainly unnatural, and the quantity of associated embarrassment is enough to meet the expectations of anyone who fancies backing up their shame truck with the extra-capacity god-awfulness bucket fitted. Or at least, it would, in any world in which beauty was a virtue, truth and aspiration, and ethics existed anywhere other than southern England, just below Suffolk. A recent semantic study, citation needed, of all of the text content of the internet has revealed that 94% of it doesn't mean anything at all, and that 5.8% is about things that no one over the mental age of seven could possibly give a fuck about. Of the remaining 0.2%, 98% of that is wrong, and 1.9% is contained in much more condensed, higher signal-to-noise ratio form in your local library or your parents' bookshelf. The tiny residue is information that couldn't exist before the digital age, and it's mostly people complaining about the quality of information on the internet. So it's all basically a load of toss, and you're well shot of it. But it can be seductive, mostly by suggesting that there are things you don't know and which you need, or at least want, to. You don't? Trust me. But by way of inoculation, here is a brief summary of almost everything you can find on the web that wasn't written by an obviously insane person, so you can save yourself the bother of looking it up and get on with important, productive and useful things like having actual sex with real people. Here we go. You won't believe what this celebrity... You will, but you won't care. Your penis is fine. It's fine. If you don't have a penis, that is also fine. It's not weird, and it's not a trick, except to get you to click the link and be taken to a page of wholly invented horseshit and trackers. Is X a thing? No. Somebody just killed some other people. The killer was sad and angry, and the police shot them dead. Somebody else just said that the killing means that we should therefore arrest everybody who's brown. They are also sad and angry, but unfortunately, nobody's going to kill them. It's not cancer. Your symptoms are consistent with a mild viral infection. The appropriate treatment is a couple of days bed rest and plenty of fluids. If there's a thing that you're tempted to pick at, don't. Get a pap smear and vaccinate your kids. A very rich American who has their photograph taken for a living just said something discourteous about another very rich American who probably deserved it, but that's irrelevant because the whole incident was scripted by people who work for them and have worked out that behaving like schoolyard hair pullers will be good for their clients' bank balances. If that fact alone doesn't render you incapable of getting out of bed for a week or turn you into an advocate for mass sterilisation, it's because you haven't grasped the full implications. You don't want to sign up for the newsletter. A leading politician in your country just said something critical about another leading politician who's a member of a different party, but who is otherwise utterly indistinguishable from the first one. In a week, no one will remember. Um, this one's a bit geo-specific. If you're in the United States, a leading politician just advocated doing something that every previous candidate for high office would have recoiled from as from a syphilitic mole rat wearing a swastika-embossed strap-on, and the rest of the country just stood around shaking its head at the giddy excitement of it all. If you're in the United Kingdom, 
There are no leading politicians, so the point is moot. Canadians can just shut up and fuck off. You're not special, and we wouldn't shag him anyway. Unless he asked, like, really nicely and maybe bought flowers or something. And finally, and I'm aware that this is actually useful, even life-saving information for some people, kids, you're perfectly normal. There are millions of people just like you. Those feelings you're having are fine and good and healthy, even if what you're feeling is huge and seems overwhelming, like maybe you like people of a different sex to the one all of your friends can't seem to shut up about, or that you may not even be the sex that your friends think you are. That thing that you want to do with that other person is precisely the same, mutatis mutandis, as what billions of other people want to do and do do with other people. Conversely, if you happen to be one of the people who never wants to do anything like that with anybody else ever, there are still millions like you, and there are billions more with whom you can be deeply, enrichingly, platonic BFFs, and that too is all part of the rich tapestry of life. You are all loved. Everybody is valuable. Except for Isis and Andrew Bolt. You can go and get fucked. There. Now, throw away your computer and go and have sex. Or play Monopoly, if you prefer. If you can't find anyone to have sex with, give me a call. I'm broadly free on Thursday mornings and after nine on weeknights. Come round the back. Bring your wellies. Sorry, I hate Monopoly, though, so you're on your own with that shit. At least get Catan. Free. You are listening to... uh the 9pm, uh, what's it called? The 9pm Fracking Your Data Real Good, a uh, special episode of uh, the 9pm Edict for Australia's uh, Census Night, 9th of August 2016. If you've just joined the live stream, A, yes, I'm just pouring some wine, uh, and B, uh, you may have been confused as you joined the live stream because Spreaker has this uh, facility whereby uh, you can record a little intro thing that plays when someone is joining the live stream to orient them to what they're about to start listening to because obviously if they're listening after it started, they're coming in not at the start. I hope you're, you're getting your head around this exceedingly sophisticated concept. Right? So, that's what you're hearing, except in my brilliance and also the fact that I was laughing so much at the census falling over, I forgot to update that little snippet from the last episode. So, if you have joined the live stream thinking that it's going to be about the Australian politician Pauline Hanson, you are going to be bitterly, bitterly disappointed for that reason, uh, as opposed to being bitterly disappointed because, (laughs) let's face it, this is what you've ended up listening to. And what are you listening to? You are listening to me going through a paper copy of the census form because it's so ridiculously uh, hard at the moment to get onto the internet-based one because there's a whole... uh, (laughs) There's a whole disaster unfolding there. Uh, It took maybe one and a half hours for the the people doing the census at the Australian Bureau of Statistics to actually admit that the thing wasn't working, even though 
Twitter was full of people complaining that it wasn't working and showing screenshots with error codes on them. Presumably, Facebook was even worse because far more people use Facebook than Twitter. And yet, despite all that evidence in front of them, the census Twitter account was telling people that everything was running smoothly as expected. (laughs) Completely oblivious they were. Just like they're oblivious to uh, the fact that gender is not a binary kind of choice, that, that people do live in relationships other than registered marriages in various combinations and numbers, uh, that there are languages other than those first few and so on. Anyway, um, quick bit of wine. And... Uh, for those of you reading along at home, if you've managed to uh, get up, we're up to um, question 32. For each fa- female, how many babies has she ever given birth to? <sighs> <That's>, <laughs> and, and you know, what was her nanny's name? And what, I, I do get that planning for population does require having all sorts of statistics about you know, how many sprogs does a Catholic squirt out and all of that. But it, it's this wonderful combination is the census of these basic biological questions with others that really do have vast social and economic in, in, in implications. Um, but, I, but I like that, you know, they don't really ask... Uh, has the woman ever had, you know, cervical cancer or... You know, a rash. Well, I've spilt wine on the census form. Does the, does the optical reader thing um, cope with wines? Oh, this, oh, shit. I'm sure it'll wash off. Question 33. What is the total of all income the person usually receives? Aha, uh-huh, and there are boxes to, to mark starting at... Uh, well, starting down at the bottom as nil, obviously, or even negative income. I remember those days well. Uh, and then it starts from a dollar to $149 a week, which is also a dollar to 7799 a year, up to the top one, which is 3000 or more a week or 156000 or more or more per year. And here is where we get to uh, one of my modest proposals for the census, is that once we've done all that, we remind the people in the top half of those that number range that they are, in fact, in the top half and they're not Aussie battlers. Let's be clear here. If you... You know, the median salary in Australia is sub seventy something thousand dollars a year. If you are getting more than that, you are better off than the majority of people in the country. So stop your fucking whinging. On a related note, if you are earning above the Australian median wage, or in fact if you are on the Australian median wage, you are one of the top 1% globally. The majority, I suspect, of the people stomping around in in places complaining about the 1% 
are the fucking 1%. It kind of is a good thing to occasionally remember that the world exists outside leafy suburbs in large Western democracies. So it's also worth remembering in that context where the uh, the poverty line lives. I mean, our former treasurer, Joe Hockey, who's now Australia's ambassador in Washington, with a big fucking smug grin on his ugly face, seems to think that if the cost of uh, a medical trip goes up, a medical visit goes up a few dollars, that, oh, well, you know, you just drink beer or smoke cigarettes, you should cut back that, you dead shit parent. I've ranted about that in the past, but I'll perhaps come back to it. Uh, I will mention in this context that stunts related to this, such as uh, convincing politicians to spend a week or spend a fortnight living uh, on unemployment benefits or something, kind of misses the whole point because the long-term effect of having a low income is that you end up skipping things like dentists, which are very expensive. You don't get expensive clothes, which means you can't necessarily go to the upmarket um, social events that your more well-off friends might go to. You don't have a whole lot of things to make your life easier. You don't have access to better education and so on. And you you may not have a a poverty uh, existence in the sense of your starving, but you certainly have social poverty. You you can't go to the pictures with your friends. You can't take part in as many social activities simply because social activities cost money. I will save that rant for another time, but I, I think we do need to uh, inflict upon those in the top half of that, that, that bell curve that they are in the top half of that bell curve and they're doing very well indeed. Thank you very much, selfish cunts. Question 34. Last week, did the person have a job of any kind? Straightforward again. Uh, in the main job, was that person working for an employer in a business and it all goes through uh, that kind of stuff? What sort of business was it? It all gets a bit boring here. I, I suppose I should have prepared some more angry rants. Um. Yes. In the main job held last week, what was the person's occupation? Now, I have a a trouble with this, and I suspect a lot of people do, because increasingly we are uh, moving into what some of the futurists and other dead shits call a a portfolio career, and, and that is you have a, a number of different things you do. Uh, and they they cover a wide field. So I look at a question like that and go, well, which which is the main one? Is it the one that took most time? Is it the one that earned most money? Is it the one that I aspire to do? Is it the one that I think of myself as, even though it might be the smallest in both uh, time consumed and money earned? Do the notes help in this regard? Just as just as an aside, uh, being under sort of orangey incandescent lights while trying to read something printed on an orangey kind of background is really difficult. It reminds me, though, of all the stuff when you try and read. I, I get this a lot when I I have to register with a company to download some white paper, i.e., they want to capture my details for marketing purposes just so I can read their advertising. But 
Uh, I suspect this is all Salesforce or something in the background because you see a billion required fields. You know, okay, name and uh, and phone number and email I get. You need to be able to contact the person. But then it's which company do you work for, which division, what is your job title and what is your function? And what if you don't have any of that structure? And yet all those things are required fields. So there's an assumption that if you're contacting a business, for whatever reason, that you are in a company that has divisions and job titles and functions and whatever. It's it's all very old-fashioned. What I keep finding, I think this is a point that I want to make, when you keep interacting with businesses, so much of it is is based on these archaic structures. And for all of the digital, agile, um, highly manoeuvrable, smoke-blasting, vaping, I, I don't know what, it, what to call it, um, for all of those buzzwords that businesses want to be, when you actually look at how they structure their data, which is really how they measure the universe, how they see the universe, fuck all has changed since the 1940s. Still, rock on the future, eh? What are the main tasks? This is question 39. What are the main tasks that the person usually performs in that occupation? Occupation, task, employee. Where do you fit into the machine? The machine of society. Still, I suppose... That's where our school system came from, wasn't it? It's um, reading, writing, and arithmetic to get someone to a uh, a base level standard to work in a factory. But at the same time, as Alvin Toffler, the late Alvin Toffler, he only died recently in his book uh, The Third Wave, uh, pointed out that the machine age education system, yes, it was about reading, writing, and arithmetic as the overt syllabus, but the covert syllabus that you know what was really going on was about conformity was about obeying authority and it was about punctuality that is what you needed the attributes you needed in um a factory worker they needed to turn up on time to be to do their assigned tasks in the factory they need to follow their orders they needed not to think too much for themselves but to do you know, be the cog in the machine. Uh, I find it interesting, therefore, that in recent years, I, I have heard that some schools and some education systems around Australia have been removing things like critical thinking from their syllabus and all of the, uh, what's it called, NAPLAN, the, the kind of how to measure how kids are learning, again come back to lists of skills, Where do you fit into the machine? Fill out the form. Last week, how many hours did the person work in all jobs? How the fuck do you measure that when you're a freelancer? Unless you do clock on, clock off, which I know very well that most freelancers don't work that way. They'll reply to an email or two on the train or while waiting for their drink to be served. They'll take a a phone call just for a few minutes while they're picking the kids up from school. Still, hours, labour, into the equation, productivity, uh, shut up and do your job. 
what was that? That was uh, question 44. Question 45, how did you get to work? These snapshots are useful, I suppose, that you can kind of predict which areas currently have a problem. Did the person actively look for work at any time in the last four weeks? I mean, that sounds like a question from a Centrelink form. Uh, examples of actively looking for work include writing telephone or applying to an employer for work. Yes, uh, job in the machine again. To having a job interview, checking or registering with an employment agency, taking steps to purchase or start own business, advertising or tendering for work, contacting friends or relatives in order to obtain work. So, I guess somewhere in there includes a conversation with a colleague about, so what's happening in your place? But again, it's all very mechanical, isn't it? Uh, Question 47, if the person had found a job, could the person have started work last week? Uh, uh, In the last week, did the person spend time doing unpaid domestic work for their household? Uh, No, less than five hours, five to 14 hours, 15 to 29 and 30 hours or more. So, ladies and gentlemen... Do you start the clock when you uh, wash wash the dishes after the end of a meal? Or uh, pick up the clothes from the teenager's floor or all of those things? I wonder how accurate those figures are. They're kind of a bit suck it and see. Uh, Question 49. In the last two weeks, did the person spend time providing unpaid care, help or assistance to family members or others because of a disability, a long-term health condition or problems related to old age, yes or no? No numbers there. So helping people is unmeasured. It's a binary thing, but household management stuff is, is clocked by the hour. Right. I think that says something deep about how much relatives and their care is valued by our modern society. In the last two weeks, did the person spend time looking after a child without pay? Uh, No, yes, your own, or yes, someone else's child. How long for? I mean, if I'm visiting someone, and they say, I'm just popping down the shops. And you say, all right. And then while your friend is popping across the road to the shops, you say, well, Susan, do you want to check what's on television? Yeah, thanks, whatever. I, I'm suddenly, is that childcare? Again, this, this, this creates a very strange... In the last 12 months, did the person spend any time doing voluntary work through an organisation or group? Suppose I did. I was on a panel for the EFA, one of their events. They're a group. I wasn't paid. Strange question. No, no question of amount No question of what sort of things or job function 
or what is there? What was that? That was question fifty-one. Oh, look, we're powering through this. It's all—it's not pretty. It's all pretty tedious, really. Fifty-two. Were there any people away on the night of Tuesday, nine August, who usually live at this dwelling? And then at once their names and dates of birth, and whether they're Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander or not, and their relationship. So there's some dot joining going on there. Usually lives. I think there's usually lives. There's actually a definition of this. And I think that technically I go down as no fixed abode. Here we go. Usually live means the address at which the person has lived or intends to live for a total of six months or more in 2016. And I think that if I add up the times that I spend in Sydney at Lilyfield, the times I spend in the Blue Mountains, and the fact that I know these plans change and I spend a lot of time in hotels and I do some house-sitting and things, I believe, as I found out five years ago, there was no one place that fitted the six-month rule. There was no plan six months ahead so technically, I write none in that, and I am of no fixed abode. I'm not homeless. That's a separate thing. I mean, I've, I've got a roof over my head. I've got a place to go. But it's that what happens with, well, are we seeing more nomadic people around? And we've got the grey nomads out there chugging along. Um, strange that. They probably form some sort of secret society, a sort of boomer underground. Um Watch them in their RVs. Like, they carry a lot of shit around in those vehicles. I suspect uh, I suspect they're terrorists. Uh, oh, I've flicked back a page. So, yeah, that's that's the where they live. And look, broadly speaking, you know, we, we want a snapshot of it. It's, it's the, the financial stuff and the religious stuff that people get most worked up about, I suspect. But as I say, the relationship stuff. The gender stuff, it's so outdated. Question 54, how many registered motor vehicles were there? Uh, question 55, how many bedrooms in the dwelling? Ah, see, this is where you house everyone after the cities are vaporised in a nuclear exchange. Uh, is this dwelling owned, owned with mortgage, being purchased, rented, occupied? Rent, rent, rent. Oh, yeah, yeah, if the dwelling is being rented, who it is rented from? But that's categories. Uh, how much does your household pay for this dwelling? Yeah, what's your rent or what's your mortgage? Ah, oh, 59. I love this one. Does any member of this household access the internet from this dwelling? <laughs> it's like, my God. It's like saying, does any member of your household drink water? <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, question. Ah, oh, here's the one. Question 60. Does each person agree to his, her name and address and other information on this form being kept by the National Archives of Australia and then made publicly available after 99 years? That's the whole do you want to be part of history thing. You're presumably long since dead by then. Um, yes. Now, 
while we're reaching the end of that, um, that's the end of the form. 61 is just, yeah, yeah, sign here, send it in. I am... Ah, oh, I forgot to do... Okay, I forgot to pass the hat. This was kind of a unplanned episode, which it, <laughs> unplanned in every sense of the word, I think you'll agree, uh, of the edict. Uh, at the moment, I'm planning over the next few months to, uh, on the current income levels, one episode per month of this normal, well, not normal, but the kind of newsy magazine style thing, and one episode per quarter, so every three months of uh, the Public House Forum live at a pub. So I'm going to set dates on that very soon. That's the plan, and I'm going to be getting a, um, what's it called, Patreon thing up and running to sort of increase the the number of um, regular subscribers. And as uh, the, the base rate of uh, uh, regular monthly contributions rises, we'll start going then to two episodes a month, three episodes a month, and so on, and uh, improve the... Um, the frequency of uh, the public house forums as well. In the meantime, if you would like to contribute to the continue, the continue, continuity, continuation, con- to coffers, gives money, uh, pop over to stilgarian.com slash tip and, and you can uh, uh, make a contribution there. That would be very much appreciated because, uh, as freelancers will probably tell you, this is one of the the really slow periods of the year. And although I won't go into all of the messy details, it's been particularly slow for me, uh, both for health reasons and uh, certain other reasons, which I'll uh, discuss at another time. Now, just before I go, let's have a look and see... Is the census up again? No. Maybe, maybe not. But I will say, yes, Twiddlekins agrees that caravans are an act of terror. Joel Michael asks, what about 50% shared parenting arrangements? Joel, how many babies have you had? I mean... I don't want to think about that, but yeah, well, oh, well, you, you see, you have multiple people in the census, and both people could fill in. Yes, I took care for the kid. That would be all right. Um, this is where this whole podcast kind of falls in a heap uh, because there isn't a, an organised ending. So, what I think you should do now is ah, oh, shit, spilled the wine. Excuse me for a second. Uh, I'll uh, just do this while um, I'm mopping up the wine. It's only a little bit. It's all right. No need to call the police. Um, oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, while, while I'm doing this, you pop over to stilgarian.com slash tip and... We can work out the budget for what just needs de-whining uh, at the time. Uh, and that's it for this podcast. Uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on you, and uh, I'll be back with the next one. Bye.
The 9pm edict is a skank media production. Sorry.